what you have in the beginning, which slowly fades away, it's kind of nearly still there a bit, but it's like, you know, did, was it all for nothing? So yeah, that is one of the real touch. So I think you'd have to be extremely resilient um, and, and really believe in what you're doing. Trials, tribulations, mistakes, barriers, successes, and failures. Hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion-dollar businesses to those that are just starting out. Winner of the Campaign Publishing Award for Best Business Podcast in the UK, Successes in the Mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. Everyone claims to be an entrepreneur, but can everyone live up to the title? What does it take to start a business, to get your product into a high street store, or grow a well-managed team? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Success is in the Mind is proud to be sponsored by Coronation Wealth Management, a professional service providing tailored financial advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, managers and clients looking to grow and protect their wealth or reach their financial goals. The team at Coronation Wealth provides services including retirement, investment, protection, and business planning. To find out more, go to coronationwealth.co.uk. On today's show, I have plant-based energy drink founder Hub Van Brockel. Hub has worked in the fashion, television, and consumer brand world for over 20 years, ultimately founding Tenzing in 2016. What does it take to bring a consumer brand to market, particularly one in such a competitive and diluted market? With the energy drink market expected to grow to over $80 billion by 2026 and the health food market on the rise, is Tenzing literally liquid gold? Ladies and gentlemen, Hub Van Brockel. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, your background spans fashion, it spans television, energy drinks, quite a bit of entrepreneurialism, but you studied at Harvard Business School, you then went into London Business School, and now you run a natural energy drink business. Why so varied? You, that's a difficult one. I, I didn't obviously start off by thinking I'm going to go varied. And to be honest, like the, the, I just went, I, my, my main university was in, uh, in the Utrecht, in the city of Utrecht, where I uh, studied law and economics. And, but my Harvard, I did like a, one semester, whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I would say I'm widely, I'm interested in a lot of different things. And I think I've, I've uh, you know, and I think it is a bit of a journey, right? Your whole, um, you know, working life to find out what you really, truly love doing. And I think I got better in that, um, you know, every, every step I took. Because, you, I mean, going from television into starting your own fashion business, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was called Finkelbaum. Is that how you pronounce yes, it? Yes, yes. Dr. Dr. Finkelbaum. Oh, Dr. Finkelbaum. That's where it came from. But you won, you know, you won awards for the most creative startup. It seemed to be not short-lived, but it wasn't something that continued for the foreseeable, right? It was very much a fashion brand. And then you went into working for another business as well. I think it was Red Bull at the time. But why did you... Why did you decide to start that and then jump ship and go back into corporates? So actually, if I really look at the genuine reason for starting that, I, I started my working life at, uh, at Unilever, always in, mar and like in marketing. I liked uh, early on, like at the end of my university, I thought, okay, marketing is the field I want to go in probably because I like the creative side. And I've always like been very interested in psychology and philosophy a bit. Like, you know, so how can you kind of, you know, create a bit of a movement? I always thought that was, that was quite cool. <laughs> but then realizing at Unilever, although I absolutely loved it and I wouldn't want to miss it because most of my friends are actually still from there. And uh -huh. uh, it was a, you know, great learning school. I didn't realize at one point it's more managing than kind of actually being creative. Because you were senior brand manager there, weren't you? So you were quite, quite, quite involved in the oversight. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, so I, I, I really enjoyed it. 
but I was kind of missing that whole creative and entrepreneurial side. And I also had to, that's where I actually met my, uh, my, my wife is that um, we did a project within Unilever mm-hmm. where it was like about, you know, we, we were saying we're missing a bit of the entrepreneurial side and we were missing chances in the market because we were looking inside out, right? You're looking from the current brands, you were looking uh, to find innovation within them, but then you'd miss whole segments of the market. So we went to go outside in. And, and then there was a lot of, you know, everyone could come up with ideas in the whole, the whole company. And then there would be this process with the, you know, you had to pitch to advertising guys like this. And, and, and my project won, uh, which was really cool. And then I, I, I could launch it. I was allowed to learn, launch that project. And I did that together with my, you know, with the two of us. It's much easier with someone else's money though, isn't it? It's so much easier. It's very <laughs> difficult. It's very different. But it, it is also, you know, it did also real, make me realize how fun that was. And funny enough, I tried to then buy the project off them to do it myself. What was the project? What was the actual? It was called, uh, it was It was funny enough, it was really interesting as well. If you talk about, uh, what do you call that? You know, I don't know, serendipity or looking into the future or you know, the power of attraction. Because it was called the Red Bull of Snap. And my wife went to work to, for snacks, and I went to work for Red Bull uh, for three years later. Oh, so, wow, I mean that is foresight. Then I was actually allowed to start my own business next to my job at Unilever because I just wanted to kind of, you know, I just came up with this idea and I thought it was really funny. And actually, it would have been quite successful, I think. Because do you know Happy Socks, the brand, the business? I do actually. Yeah, I do actually know Happy Socks. Yeah, they're huge. I think they're the biggest, at least last time I spoke to someone at Facebook, they're one of the biggest advertisers on Facebook. So I think they're probably extremely um, successful. Mm-hmm. And they, and that's what that was our mission was as well. We like the sock back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, early 2000s, which is a very boring item. It was either, yes. you know, a white sock or like, you know, one of those blue business socks. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we said, let's make fun uh, socks uh, fun. And it's a yeah. bit like, you know, the, the boxer shorts, you know, when I was really young, you yeah. bought a boxer short at your supermarket, right? It was no, really... I, could, I mean, I think socks, I love socks. Ironically, today is the day I'm not wearing any socks. But, um, you know, often I do think that it's the only way that a guy can actually, I suppose, be fairly creative in terms of if they're wearing a suit, a suit is a suit. Exactly. How can yeah. they actually kind of, you know, showcase more of a personality? Exactly, exactly. So we had like, you know, we wanted to do the two different socks and and we just said, and, and we had a real funny concept, which I, uh, that's why the bit strange name came from it was also one of the first online uh, it was really early right so it was like you know you had a couple of you didn't have a lot of online stores at the time and we thought you know we wanted to start let's say with the you know we wanted to start we said we started a fashion brand and we started at the bottom with socks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also something that you didn't have to you know try on you know, so you could just, but it was really easy to, you know, send proposed. Yes. Yes. So that's how we looked at it. I looked at the business case, funny enough, not too long ago. And I thought it was really quite, quite clever, funny enough. And then we said, so you had go, went online and it was called Dr. Fingerbump and you would get prescribed a sock. So you do this psychological test, which was just, a, you know, a load of, you know, fun and bullshit kind yeah, of, yeah, but, yeah. And, and, which was really clear. So you had to like, what do you see in this picture? Like, you know, one of those psychiatric uh, yeah. things and then you saw something and then we said, okay, we, we, the sock that you need in your life is the uh, ocean sock or something. We said, cause that will you know, help you, whatever. And then, then we sent you the sock in a really cool, like little packaging. I don't know if you've got it here. But that's quite a good idea. It's kind of quite experiential to a certain extent. Oh, is that it? Yeah. So we had like, you know, Dr. Finkel by, by, by prescription only, you oh, know, yes. it says, um, you know, wear one daily with clothes. <laughs> Clean well on 30 degrees. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> so it was really, I thought it was actually really fun. But then what I realized, so then I moved to MTV. We started it there. And then finally, I got a job at Red Bull. Not, MTV was about two and a half years. 
it was also a time, funny enough, where there was no, you couldn't outsource your sending off stuff. So you had to hit like right. minimum thresholds. So literally I'd come home and me and my wife would go, should we go to a movie? And we're like, oh no, we've got orders in, you know? So, so this was pre-Amazon time, wasn't it? So this was when you had to go to the post office and- Yeah, we had to like out. post them all ourselves. So, you know, you had to hit that point. And, and to be honest, one of the big things, there's two big things I learned from that that I took in my later venture, Tenzin. Yes. Uh, first of all, it's handy if you know the market a bit. <laughs> so I didn't know anything about fashion, to be honest, but that didn't really matter. I didn't really, I didn't know anything about online selling as much. So I mean, I, mean, I think the second point, point is more important. You have to really enjoy what you're doing. So what I noticed, I massively enjoyed, as, I, as I'm talking about now, developing that brand and developing that, you know, website and all that. We got like, we, we did a fashion show. It was a, it was a fashion show on the Amsterdam Fashion Week. Right. And it was a, you know, socks only fashion show and we had models wearing only socks. And then, and then, so that, that's what later I really brought into the, uh, yeah, do stuff that you really enjoy and that you are kind of good at. Yeah. 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 And, and looking back at when you were, you know, growing up as a child, you were quite academic. You said that you went and studied law at university. You then went into corporate life. You then went into kind of more entrepreneurialism. You know, entrepreneurs by definition are more zany. They're less academic to a certain extent. Do you think that the academia experience that you had as a child helped you in terms of actually starting and scaling a business? Or do you think it was just life experience that you just sort of shunned off? Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't think anyone who knows me would describe me as academic. Uh, so, you know, obviously that looks nice on my uh, LinkedIn profile when I was still looking for jobs and I probably haven't changed that since <laughs> my dad was very aware of, you know, just to be honest, like, you know, making his CV look great. And, and of course I did finish my university and I did do law and economics, but I mean, it was like a combination study as well. It was like, you know, so in Holland, everyone does their masters and you st I started off with law, but then I kind of changed that into econ economics and law. So it's not that I studied law and economics, right? So, so, but. I think that's a really over, and I would nearly say kind of nearly dangerous, uh, you know, where it's train of thought or belief in the entrepreneurial world. Um, you know, don't go to, I mean, you've got these like outliers, like, you know, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, wasn't he going to Harvard as well? Yeah, he like, did. You know, he was yeah. like super smart, bumped into this uh, idea and he was really good at like programming. And then he, you know, stopped university. So, I mean, these are just outlier things and they get a lot of press. And I think then there's a lot of these spokesperson, I know Steve Bartlett, who I'm a you know, big fan of, Mm -hmm. But I don't agree with that point of just don't go to uni and uh, start your own business because, you know, he's just a very special man. <laughs> and I think, you know, most of us, it would be probably, you know, let's say just on average, would you get a better job if you go to uni and can, and, and that's what, you know, we were talking about a bit before, like what's that average age to start a business? Uh, people don't realize this because of all the uh, talk that's around like young entrepreneurs and they get all the press, but the average age is apparently 42. Again, Harvard research. So I think that shows, I mean, and of those people that are 42, I don't know the research, but I would bet a lot of people have gone to uni. I think it's a, it's a, it's a really, I mean, at the end of the day, don't get me wrong. If you come, if you bump into a great idea and you want to make it happen, stop uni. Like I don't, I, I don't think I learned a particular, a lot, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not using my law knowledge to start a business, right? So, but the economic side of it, I'm sure has come in handy. I'll take that as a no. No, I don't. I don't think. I, you know what you learn. I think I. I. I, I, I think at university is you learn to kind of you know discipline 
uh, finishing something that I think you know, on average people find, you know, not that interesting. I, I actually really enjoyed also applying for jobs at the end of it. You know, I thought that was quite fun. It's an, it's, it's an experience for sure, to put it bluntly. But when, when Finkelbaum kind of ended, and, and why did it end? Was it just simply because you didn't want to carry it on? You couldn't carry it on? You couldn't take it away from Unilever? What was the reason there? From idea to launch took a while. And then, uh, yeah, basically, I, the idea I had when I was Unilever, then I launched at MTV and I stopped at Red Bull. That's the kind of... Uh, uh, and it was, it, was, yeah, it was mainly mixed, but I think it was mixed around the things I said. Mm-hmm. We actually uh, sold it, which mainly meant we sold our inventory and we kept some shares, but the people afterwards, unfortunately, uh, didn't uh, succeed in you know, making it big. And starting a brand is, is not easy, but arguably when you're trying to come up with a name, that's also one of the main issues, I suppose, with, with launching any sort of business. But you decided to go to Everest and to name the brand, the business after essentially Tenzing Norgay, the first person to, to summit Everest. I mean, what went through your head to go, I'm going to start a business, I need to think of a name, I think I'll go to Everest. It's interesting, the name, right? Because names, I remember that if I look at stressful periods, there was a couple in the um, couple of like, you know, big ones, <clears throat> I'd say three big stressful periods. And then there's a lot of big stresses along the way. <laughs> but one of them, the first one actually was coming up with a name. So if I look at like the energy drink category, it for, if you want to have a name, a trademark name, it's the same as every soft. And I, I always wanted, I always thought, okay, I'm going to start very small locally, but I want to kind of, you know, have the opportunity if all goes well to make it big. So I wanted to kind of trademark it in, the, in Europe and, and US. So finding, and it's the same category as all drinks, all juices, and all beers. Now imagine that on a global level, all the names that have been taken on, in those three huge categories, right? So it was basically impossible. Every time I came up with, my, with a name, it was taken, you know? So I had you know, loads of different ones. And then actually I was traveling and then somebody told me, I didn't go to Everest. So I went to Everest later. Mm-hmm. So I was actually in Asia okay. and he, he mentioned what they drink on Everest. So mainly like the Sherpas drink and, and when, and when they go on their treks and it's called a Sherpa tea, a strong tea with salt. So it's very, it's very strong and has salt and even some butter. And then I had this doctor who was helping with the recipe at the time, because obviously you're doing everything at the same time when you start off like recipe, where to source everything, what's the name. And I immediately called him because, uh, and I said, like, is this, um, does this make sense? And he goes, it does actually make a lot of sense because it's, it's a triple hit of natural caffeine, vitamin C and electrolytes. And that then became the basis of our recipe. Uh, and then actually immediately after that, I thought of the name Tenzing because my dad was always a huge uh, Sherpa Tenz, Tenzing Norgay fan. Right. Uh, the first man on Mount Everest together with Edmund Hillary. And uh, I thought, wow, that's just, and it was available. And it was like, I thought it was just, I, it was one of those nearly, I would say nearly spiritual moments where I thought it all kind of came together. And I thought it was like, it's pronounceable. The zing means energy. Yes. He's also, I always thought, I, He's also not known anymore as much, especially the younger generation would not know him anymore. And I thought it would be quite cool because I thought he was always super inspirational. And I still think so, of course, of being someone who literally came from very limited means, came from nothing and just literally aimed to the top of the world. And then I actually, I, so I spoke to the trademark, I had this trademark lawyer, I spoke to him, I said, look, do, do I need permission from the family? And he goes, um, because obviously, uh, you know, Tenzing Norgay passed away. He said, no, you don't, because Tenzing is actually a very, very common name. But I said, oh, well, I, I, I want to get their permission, of course. So I like, then I traveled out there, met them, 
uh, you know, climbed the first bit, not or just only to to uh, to watch uh, um, monastery actually with Jumling Tenzing, his one of his sons, and, um, and then we, later my whole family met their whole family, and it was just super cool. And we work really closely with them now; they're partners in the business, and so that's also just been that's also just such a cool element of starting your own thing is that you never know what's going to happen, yes. and, and that it is an adventure in that sense, right? Because you, because you, you've all got it in your own control, and it's very you know. And and you can do these kind of things and bump into these things. I mean, no way when I started, when I had, because my idea was just really simple. When I started, I wanted to have something that was low calorie, plant-based and sustainable. Those were like the three key elements that have always been there in the business. But there's no way. I, and then I try to find a name around that. So there's no way I could have thought I would have bumped into this recipe or bumped into that, you know, the family and the name. So that was all, yeah, super cool. A hundred percent. And one of the one of the hardest things, I suppose, for a product of your, I suppose, sort is the, the taste testing, the design of the flavors and the actual recipe itself. And, you know, how would you go about if you're a startup back in the day, you've never been or never developed, I suppose, a, a consumable, a drink, something like that. How do you design the taste? What do you know is a good taste? How do you know that? So what you do is, so the process was really kind of, you know, simple in that sense that I started off with talking with two people that I uh, also got, you know, friends of friends. And one actually, my, the doctor I worked with was found on LinkedIn, really cool. I really used to be like good friend now. So I started and I spoke to like professors. I got like all these professors in things like how much caffeine should be in. Because the cool thing, if you start your own business in any field, Right, because I've you know, and that's 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 where the, the the first opportunity for any entrepreneur comes in, is that when you're let's say disrupting the in my case the energy space or soft drink space, you're looking at two giants, right? You're looking at well, three Mon- Coke, Monster, Red Bull, but and these have extremely strong brands, but they have products that were launched years ago, right? It allows you to start from scratch and just say, okay, what's the goal here is to give people an uplift, right? People are tired. They need some more focus. What do I put in there? And of course, my base, it was then you, I wanted to, of course, be low calorie and plant-based. Like no one in their right mind would launch an energy drink now that is full of sugar and artificial ingredients. <laughs> no. no, they wouldn't. You're absolutely right. So, uh, and, and that's the interesting bit. So I had to start with the, um, the nutritional side, like what are the ingredients? Cause they of course define taste as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I came up with like these six ingredients that I, that, that were, that were meant to be in there. Um, and then for, I started off with this, just put them, put them, put them together and see what it tastes like. That was my ideal scenario. It's just like, you know, just keep it like really basic. And then, so I want, I really wanted it to taste like nothing. If, if that makes sense. I didn't want it to have, have like a strawberry flavor or a banana flavor. I just wanted it kind of to taste like natural energy. So that was then the kind of the, so use the current ingredients, stay as close to them as possible, uh-huh. but kind of, you know, just having that was, was difficult. So then we add like some natural flavorings, which basically means like, you know, it's fruits. So with some fruits that we put in there, you'd get then, you know, the taste profile you get now currently. And how do you know when you've got there? How do you know you go, that's the taste? Oh, you don't, you don't, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. It was one of the, my biggest insecurities and still is on that uh, original flavor. Because it is a very acquired, nearly taste, right? It's really love and hate it. It's interesting though, because I, when I had it at, at Madfest, there was a, there was one there, and I had a drink, and I was like, "This is, this is different. I'm not sure if I'm okay with this." However, you have a second one, and you go, "No, I'm okay. I'm fine with it." And it take it's kind of it takes a few for you to get comfortable with. True, true, and that was always the idea, uh-huh. but 
it's same time it's super scary because yeah. people get mad. I don't really like it. You know, you, you tell, but you look, look on Amazon on our reviews, and we've got yeah. nearly a thousand reviews on our you know original now. Most people, so I would say, like there's a couple that go, I love it immediately. Yeah, there's a most I think are like yourself. Yeah, and then there's a couple that just hate it. <laughs> and but that's fine you but know people like, hate everything i mean you know you're never going to please everybody right? no and i think that's a good thing you know look at red bull again you know 100%. a lot of people don't like like the flavor of that so i think so that was our first one and then actually so and it was really interesting because all the people and i know it's really quite cool in the, in the, in london is that there's a lot of these drink startups of course yeah. and you all know each other and yeah and all of them started with, with actually three uh, different flavors from this from the get-go right yes. and i was really specific on making it one uh-huh. uh, and i think that was a good shout because what you get if you launch one you're more you more easily get onto the shelf because a retailer doesn't have to launch two or three flavors uh-huh. and once it's there it will sell hopefully slightly better because otherwise yeah. in the beginning you'll just divide your uh-huh. um, you know there'll be cannibalization across the range and and uh, retailers don't look at your brand sales they look at a single SKU sale so they'll compare that and then but sometimes it has been difficult because then it's hard to get a second one next to that yes um but um you know so then after a while we did think okay let's launch another one that mm-hmm. was then the raspberry user that was our second one and since then we've gone really quickly actually because now we launched a blackberry and SAE and we launched our pineapple passion fruit yes uh, and it, you do see the importance of uh, actually flavors because the pineapple and passion fruit i mean our original sells the most cans but it's just because it's it's got the widest distribution and been on the market the longest yes. and has a lot of like loyal fans yes um uh, but the pineapple passion fruit, if we just have them next to each other, so for instance, in Whole Foods, all, all four are there. Yes. Uh, it's, sell, it's by far the best selling one. Our sponsors, Coronation Wealth Management, provide a professional service providing tailored financial advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, managers, and clients looking to grow and protect their wealth or reach their financial goals. This is how Coronation Wealth helped a co-founder and director in the food and drink sector. Being a new co-founder, Coronation Wealth are helping us to understand what we can do with our business and advising us on business financial planning. Personally, looking at mine and my husband's investments and retirement planning is also a stress reliever. Coronation Wealth Management LLP is an appointed representative of and represents only St. James's Place Wealth Management PLC, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority for the purpose of advising solely on the group's wealth management products and services. More details of which are set out on the group's website www.sjp.co.uk forward slash products. You've nailed the brand. I mean, looking at it, it looks it looks excellent. But having looked into, I suppose, the brand over the last couple of years, you, you change it quite regularly, don't you? Or you have done. You've never sort of fully settled on one brand. You do new runs every now and again. How, are you happy with the brand now, or do you think that's going to keep, keep changing? Well, wh- which one do you have there? I've got the natural energy plant-based original recipe. No, let's show me the can. The blue one. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So we've actually changed it again. I only got these last week. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're done now we're done until next week <laughs> yeah, so no it was it's it is it's so yeah interesting one because i remember in the beginning when i started i thought okay i want to meet every person i can that has started a business and just learn and one of my you know you know the biggest guy i met was richard reed from innocent so i knew someone who knew him and i met him and it was really really cool and i said to him as well because i was just in my first kind of change of the look of the can 
And I guess like, I'm just constantly tinkering. Because the cool thing, if you, the great thing, I think, if you work for other companies, let's say as, as a Red Bull as an example, of course, you'd never touch the can design, right? That was, that was just always there. And there's something really nice about that. So it's like, you can't touch that, but you can like, you know, come up with a new event or whatever. Yes. And that's nearly the disadvantage of your own business because you can change everything. It's especially for a mind like mine, who's like, I consider myself, you know, I love like creativity and coming up with making things better, tinkering. But, you know, the danger is that you constantly keep doing that. And then he, and then I asked him, I said, what did you do? Like, okay, so this is a long time ago after and since then I made many changes. And he said, we just kept changing it. You know, we, in the beginning, the little like halo was like hardly visible. Then they realized like the halo was really important. That it was really top right to hand the corner, the logo. Then they made it right in the middle, made it really big. So they went through a lot of changes and, and, um, and so we've done that now, but when, and, and what also was a big one for us is that we, I started with a single skew business. Uh, which then also, um, and then moved to two and three and four. And I think, you know, once you have more different like flavors and different blends, a different design is needed. Yeah. To, but the, the purple taste is my favorite. I mean, they went down well in the office. And just to put some context in place, you guys sent us 50, 50, 60 drinks last week. And today we are on our final can. So, yeah, no, you know, exactly. If that's market Great. research, there you go. Uh, so brilliant. what's the final design then? Yeah, so our original can, the very first one, was just simply blue. Okay. And we had a fade in there. So it was like from dark blue to light blue, but that's very difficult to get across, you know, on, the, on these kind of, you know, aluminium cans. So I, you can hardly see that there's a fade. Um, so, but then you did already produce them and you had a minimum around 150,000 that you do. And I, for our first year, we thought we, our business plan was to sell a million cans and we sold like 100,000 of them or something. Crikey. Does it go out of date though? Or, or it not? didn't. It didn't, lucky enough, because we, um, you know, so it's it's because it's aluminium, and you can actually and we and we do very shortly we uh, you know very shortly pasteurization process to take all, but so I think you know it's uh, we could usually we sell all our current cans because it is a natural product and you'll you'll mm-hmm. feel uh, it does change a bit over you know let's say with all the other drinks. Yes. And also because it's very low in sugar, you, mm-hmm. it's more subtle. I think with with the you know the likes of you know the cokes and the Red Bulls and the Pepsis, yes. because it's so high in sugar, it like tastes it tastes tastes very the same. Yes. Because we're a natural product with lower sugar, so we do try and sell them all within within a couple of months. Um, so for me, that was always the big big challenge. Like, how do you how do you kind of uncouple? that but still say this stuff really works and 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 i look i think if i look at this design it was just too much energy still that does scream and i imagine that is probably because you just left red bull but that does scream more red bull than the current brand you've got if that makes sense definitely definitely you know and and, you know and that's something of course you're right that's something of course funny enough that you don't want yes but like that there that then is then somehow ingrained in your system yes so we moved away from that, and now, and now this is the the final final one. You'll see like much more pronounced mountains than the oh, one yeah. you have there. Oh, that is slightly different, only slightly yeah. though. It is. But so it it's is. been. It's been. If I look at the whole, it is like always been an evolution. It's never been like. I mean, the biggest one was when we went to that kind of design. Went from like you know total blue to let's say the three layers. Mm-hmm. And I would also thought was not that great about this one is that it didn't have like you know real keys, distinctive features. Like now yes. we have the the three layers and a raspberry yuzu. You That's know, my favorite. That is yeah. my favorite taste. 
Yeah, exactly. It's really good. So then yeah. you get like, you know, you get the what you get the three layers. So this is also way it. easier to make different uh, flavors on, you know, different yeah. kind of, you know, blends. If you'd have like, then you'd have a, a fully pink can and a fully, which was not, which we, we didn't believe would be as yes. strong. And I, so, you, so you went from that shiny uh, can when you first designed it, which was, which was kind of a little bit more Red Bull orientated, I suppose, through to the new brand now, which is more matte, I suppose, with, with as you say, layers and a sort of a greater definition around what is essentially Everest on the can just to explain it yeah exactly exactly we wanted a more it's that you know we and also so i think if you look at the latest one you know so this is for the for the raspberry use it's definitely also more craft it's more like mounds it's more adventurous and i think that's what we wanted to get across uh, well i think it's one of those things you know i i think one of the most difficult things in marketing in general and startup is like choosing you know it's like what do you what, what do you want to bring across you know so there's so many little messages you can get on and i think we really we really focused on that last one now and we said you know the mountains are there just to feel but like if you look at the back of the can uh, it's really about you know that that key message of you know plant-based low calorie and sustainable and now we just say you know very not simple on the back instead of having all these texts where it came from we just say nice you've just discovered the new way to energize yourself uh purely for plants low calorie and sustainable no it's, it's brilliant and in terms of when you say we is that a branding company and yourself is that internal you're doing all the branding who's the person and the brains behind that so we always the first one we just i met a friend you know a friend of a friend who made the logo and then i the later one was also old friends from mtv that uh-huh. then made that the three layers yes and then the only the very very last one we worked with an actual packaging agency really and, and talk to me about getting into bed with these brands and these these kind of retailers i suppose because that is that is impossible for so many people because the door just keeps getting closed on them. And I remember your anecdote that you, you you told me at or you told the guys at Madfest about when you were basically pestering Sainsbury's until they essentially entertained you with a meeting. And back in the day when you were a bigger brand, it was easier. But Tenzing, nobody knew who they were. So, like I said, there was three really tough phases. One was funny enough, literally the name. Two was then that launch period where you're basically just kind of you know getting shut down all the time. Uh, and also yet, yeah, and I guess it is a bit more difficult when you've just, you know, when you're, I was head of marketing for Red Bull UK and Europe. And if I, if I, if I, if I wanted a meeting with the, whatever this had a sky sports that asked my assistant to get me one. And, and what, there wasn't a like, Oh, does he want to meet me? Right. They was just like, when, when, you yeah, know, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I did always know, I did, you always know that it's not because of me, right. They don't want to meet me. They want to meet the head of marketing for Red Bull, right? So that and that happens to be me. So I knew that was the case. But then when I left and you really feel that and you just really get no one wants to meet you anymore. And and I was just devastated, you know, because imagine. in the beginning there's the what 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 you what you have in the beginning, which slowly fades away, it's kind of nearly still there a bit, but it's like, you know, did, was it all for nothing? You know, what did I do? Like, people are not going to like this. People are not going to take this. Every, like, shutdown you get, it's not only the pain of that specific shutdown, but it's also, like, the, you're, you're questioning yourself. Like, God, is this the right thing? So, yeah, that is one of the real... T- so, I think you'd have to be extremely resilient um, and, and really believe in what you're doing.
And in terms of actually getting the funding then, how much has that changed the path of Tenzing? Because what is it this year, looking at 10 million revenues? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's grown pretty aggressively over the last 18 months or so. And does that coincide with the fund? Partly, but we nearly tripled our business every year until Corona hit. And, you know, in the beginning, that's, of course, kind of nearly nothing uh, because you go from like... uh, One pound to two pounds to three pounds. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then if you keep that up, it's like staying, you know, whatever, stay on the curve, right? Um, I've really kind of taken it slow. People go like, that's so fast. But then again, it's not really, if you think about, we're going at this for nearly six years already, you know? I And I, I actually had a friend who started like a, a fintech company and he was like, you know, he's 300 people and funding rounds. And he basically, you know, he's going to kind of pull back from the business because it's too stressful. And I think there's different businesses ask for different kind of funding and stuff. But I think... Um, I think I've always, when I started, I always wanted it to be a long game. I, I, I actually started this to, to think I want to do this forever, kind of. Uh, so I think I, I, there wasn't any kind of, you know, exits planned and, and all that. And, and I think it really shows in, this, in a drinks industry, in, a, in an industry where you're dependent on retailers or other people to sell your stuff, there's no way you can really speed up the process dramatically with more funding. But then, so, so I think the key is to kind of slowly build that, slowly build that. And also from a marketing perspective, I think if you just, if say I would have got I had unlimited funds from the beginning uh, and you would have got national campaigning straight away, that's how the big businesses launch their uh, drinks. And then people go, nah, God, you know, they're bombing their way into my living room kind of. And now we, ha- we, we are increasing in marketing, but I think there's a lot of people that know it's still a small brand and that they were there from the beginning and they tried that uh, strange looking first can and now they're, they're, still, they're still with us. And there was a guy, he was, uh, you know, from uh, Bristol and he, he was uh, applying and he just discovered Tenzing recently, you know, was on the website, knew everything about it. And he just loved it so much. He was literally selling it to his friends constantly. And then one of his friends said, God, you go, should go work for them. You know, you should do the same job you're doing now, but then get money. And then he applied and now he's like part of the team. <laughs> <laughs> that's brand ambassador. That's brand loyalty, I suppose, in terms of. Yeah. And so I think there will be those people. It's hard to know. And we get a really cool, like sometimes, you know, we had like a little issue with the, that the, the carbonation of the process. And we, we just changed also to get our carbon footprint down. We changed our production to the UK. Well, you've just been B Corp uh, certified, haven't you? And congratulations on that. And it was that part of part of that methodology to become B Corp certified you had to get your carbon footprint down to a certain extent we're going through it ourselves anyway uh B Corp is really across the board but yeah it has uh, yeah yeah so they, they look at everything right how you cheat, treat your people it's not a quick process is it no it took us nearly like, like you know, from the moment we, I re, we really contacted them like three years four years ago but i think you know when you're really small it's very hard well we're uh, just trying to get uh, go through that process um ourselves actually b corp uh, certification and it is, we've, we've got it planned in for 18 24 36 months you know it's not going to happen overnight but again it goes back to that whole kind of practice what you preach to a certain extent and being b corp certified i think over the next five ten years is going to almost be critical for brands i think there has to be an element of, of of showing and certifying what you're doing is sustainable. Exactly. And I think the cool thing about that as well is that because there is still a bit of, you know, left some greenwashing going on. And I think people want, it's important that the trust is there because it would be good if people start competing on that. You no, know, no, we are more, uh, you know, sustainable, which 100%. would be great. A hundred percent. So what does, I suppose, the next three, four, five years look like for Tenzing and for yourself personally as well? I think so in the UK, 
we're on that verge of kind of, I'd say, like a proper breakthrough now. And we're at the moment, we're really increasing our distribution in, um, in actually all retailers. And not only the amount of stores, but also the amount of uh, SKUs. So I think it kind of shows there that that first phase of risk of delisting is, is, is gone. And that's what I mean more with the kind of a breakthrough. I'm really feeling like at the moment, you know, we, we, we work with a, a company called ProQuo AI. That, that tracks your brand really great great platform and on there we're also doing extremely well so you really it's really like an it's, it's a weight so you compare it to the the main market and for instance on, on things like brand momentum and aspiration we significantly outperform red bull you know so that kind of shows that you know we literally just believe that the future of energy is plant-based low calorie and sustainable i mean who's not going to agree with that right <laughs> And if you were to start again then, Hub, okay, so if you're going into business and you've no experience at all, what's the one thing that you'd want to tell somebody? Get experience. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start yet. Get some experience. You know, so I think this theory I have around, so you, you, a lot of people go like, oh, I'm going to go, I've got funded, like, you know, this gap in the markets, right? And that gap is I'm going to take that. And I don't think that's probably the right approach. I think the right approach is to look at your own skill what is it that you're basically, as an entrepreneur, the main thing is that look at what you can do that nobody else can. And I think you just have, 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 have patience, you know, find, find, just find what you're good at and then see what you stumble upon within that field uh, that you're really good at, you know, so that would be my main, uh, main advice. Hub, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sending in the cans of Tenzing. If people want to buy more cans, find you online, listen to you speak, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, so the best place to get, you know, we, we have a really cool on TenzingNationalEnergy.com. If you subscribe to Tenzing, that means you get, a, you know, 24 cans every, you can get them every month or every two months. And we will actually make you carbon neutral. So we are, like I said, carbon negative. So we take more greenhouse gas out of the atmosphere than we put in but if you we will we what we'll do then so the average we don't look at your exact carbon footprint because that would be too much like uh, work uh, <laughs> we want to keep it simple but we took we've took the average uh carbon footprint of the uk citizen which is 8.6 tons so uh, you can then we have a tool online where you can check if yours is higher or lower so if yours is lower we're offsetting more you're also carbon negative because we will always offset the 8.6 tons per person we do that with our offsetting partner, Ecology. So that's really cool. We call it the Carbon Neutral Crew. So subscribe to Tenzing and you'll become part of our Tenzing Carbon Neutral Crew. I love it. I'm going to check it out. Thanks ever so much for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information, check out the description where you can find exclusive video snippets on my YouTube channel, as well as contact details and links. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support as always by subscribing. If you or someone you know should be on the show, please email me via oliver at pinpoint-media.co.uk and I promise I'll get back to you. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Take care. Success in the Mind is proud to be sponsored by Coronation Wealth Management, a professional service providing tailored financial advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, managers and clients looking to grow and protect their wealth or reach their financial goals. The team at Coronation Wealth provides services including retirement, investment, protection and business planning. To find out more, go to coronationwealth.co.uk. This podcast is supported by our media partner, Blocks and PR, who represent some of the most powerful brands within the luxury, lifestyle, and fashion sector. Go and check them out at blocksandpr.com.